Hi, and welcome to my podcast, Jack to the Future. From science and inventions to pollution and recycling, I talk about what's changing in the world, the future, and how we can help with that. Every month I'll talk about a different future theme. For example, the future of science, tech, sustainability, reading, music and all sorts of other ones. The future of everything. Did you know? You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Jade to the Future and on YouTube as Jack to the Future. Follow me to get behind the scenes info, access to the previews about my next episodes and much, much more. On this week's episode, we're talking about the future of forests. I'll show you about my visit to Hatfield Forest and I'll show you some videos and photos that I took when I was there. I'm lucky enough to interview Henry Bexley, who's the operations manager at Hat Forest. We talk about the plants and wildlife there, the risks facing forests in the UK and what we can do to help, and some unique features that you'll find if you go to Hatfield Forest. Hatfield Forest is in Takeley, which is really near Bishop Stortford. It's right on the border of Hertfordshire and Essex. Although Hatfield Forest is called Hatfield Forest, it's not actually in Hatfield. There are actually quite a few Hatfields all over England. There's even one in Yorkshire. The name is from Old English. The hat bit means heathland or heather, and the field bit means open country. So there you have it. A fact of the day. When I came to Hatfield Forest, I estimated the age of a tree stump. I loved the lesson plan the volunteers made, and there's a video on social media of me doing it. Do you know the reason why I loved it so much? I love maths. We saw a lovely orange butterfly, and this a really strange looking fir tree. It looked like it had a nest in it, but it was massive. When we got home, Mummy emailed Henry, and this was his reply. The tree at Eight Wants Way, which is in your picture, is a black pine. And the feature you can see is a gall, which is thought to have been started by insect activity in this case. It's where buds have grown on buds in an uncontrolled way as a result of intensive hormonal activity, usually stimulated by damage of some description, either bacterial or fungal infection. It doesn't seem to have affected the tree in a negative way, so we proudly leave it where it is for people to puzzle over. And we did. It puzzled us for sure. The reason why I really like Hatfield Forest is because you're so free and there's lots of bugs and wildlife. You're right next to it. You feel like you run around everywhere. You may have seen on social media my drawing of a burnt down grave forest. I really hope that this isn't the future of forests, but we need your help. Very honoured to have over here Henry Bexley from Hatfield Forest, who is the operations manager. And Henry, what does the operations manager mean? Well, Jack, I mean, I've got many different interests, lots of different experience in looking after the countryside. So looking after a really important place like Hatfield Forest, you need to have a good in-depth knowledge of all of the wildlife and all of the things that we do to help that wildlife. But also I have a team of people that I look after. So we have rangers. And we have a welcome team to look after all of our visitors. We have anything up to about half a million visits every year. So that's an awful lot of people to keep happy and give a safe and educational visit to, to look after the finances. Our whole um, ethos is to try and make everything pay for itself. And all of the income from the forest goes straight back into its conservation. And that's really important to see the forest well into the future and look after it. Oh, right. 
So you mean by putting all the money back in the forest, it will make it sustainable for the future? Absolutely, yeah. What's the National Trust? The National Trust is one organisation that does look after different forests, but there are other charities and landowners, uh, like a big network of different people that look after uh, forests across the UK. It says on your website that Hatfield Forest is an ancient royal hunting forest. How old is the forest? Well, the forest really, it goes back a thousand years to the days of Henry I. So not, not long after the Norman Conquest, Henry I was responsible for establishing these large wooded areas for the purposes of hunting. And really it was a way to get venison with meat from the deer down into the cities to the royal palace. Everybody had an interest in eating venison. You can imagine that's why they had to establish a lot of land throughout the UK to provide that meat resource. Yeah, I guess it would be like 456 years old. No, far, far older than that. And actually, the trees of the forest, there's only really been one intervention by humans, which is coppicing, which really took off in the 1100s. Yeah. yeah, really old. Did kings and queens used to hunt animals there? Well, unfortunately, we've got no evidence that the royals came to hunt here, but we do know that the venison from here went down to Westminster. So whether Henry I actually came out to Hatfield Forest, it'd be really nice to think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's very possible that they did come. It is fairly close to London. I guess on horseback, it would be about two or three hours, maybe, something like that. Is um, Henry the first relative of you, like a very old one or something? Of mine? Yeah. By name only, Jack. Yeah, I, I can't make claims to that. Maybe. Maybe. There's a very slim chance. <laughs> What's a site of specific scientific interest? A site of special scientific interest. I talked about entomologists in my Future of Animals episode. They did a study to help Hatfield's forest give it its scientific status, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, Hatfield is a site of special scientific interest, really, because all of its unique management has created different habitats all over the forest. So the main ones being the now ancient woodlands, so the coppices and also the grasslands here. And they're so rare now because they're under threat over the whole of the UK. And ancient woodlands are much less sizable than they would have been. So with those important habitats comes some really different wildlife that can only really exist in those places. So there was a lot of dragonflies, hoverflies, but there's so many other things as well now that have been found here that make it so important, like the lichens and the fungi, mosses, liverwort. Just we saw some really lovely bright blue dragonflies when we were there. I think my mum put a picture of them on my social media pages. When I was outside, there's two dragonflies stuck together, one end uh-huh. and the other end. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be the hatch time soon. July is a really good month. That's when we tend to go out. Hatch time? Oh, yeah, when the insects have babies. Yeah, it's the hottest month. Absolutely, yeah. But also, right at this point in time, uh, there's some really nice wildflowers out there, like orchids. Yeah, so we saw some yellow orchids near the lake. I've heard that there's very old species there that are very special. Um, Do you know what any of those species are called? Well, there's... Over 400 flowering plant species here, which is quite amazing. So the, the really rare ones, there's one called the stinking hellebore. Have you heard I, of that? Yeah. Is it the smelliest flower in the world? Well, I, I don't know if it's the smelliest in the world, but it, it gets its name for that reason. In the darker parts of the woodland, find that just on the edge down near the lake area. 
it won't be out in flower at the moment. You can see it January, February. This time of year, though, there'll be oxlips as well. So they're really rare. What do they look like? Do you have primroses in your garden? Yeah. Well, they're like a yellow primrose, but larger, and the leaves are more rounded on the ends. But I must say that the deer absolutely love them. I wouldn't say you could eat primroses. Can you eat it? I don't think we'd advise that. <laughs> <laughs> What is conservation and what is your most exciting project at the moment? Well, it's really conservation and the activities that help to save animals and plants from extinction. So earlier on, I spoke about the habitats at Hatfield Forest. One way that we can help look after all that wildlife and conserve it is to maintain and restore those habitats. One of the most exciting projects that we're doing at the moment is to survey 250 of the nectar trees at Hatfield Forest. Some of these trees, we would estimate, they're quite difficult to age accurately, but some of them are five or 600 years old. And then from each one of those individual tree surveys, we'll be able to look at what might need doing to those trees to help to prolong their life yeah. so that they become more resilient to the wind and the ground conditions, which can get very wet in the wintertime. So restoration work has been going on at Hatfield Forest for maybe up to about 25 years now. Yeah. How do you tell the age of the tree? Is it like how many rings there are inside the wood? Well, it's difficult, really. A lot of these veteran trees are hollow in the middle, okay? They naturally hollow out, so you get all of the deadwood in the middle eventually will disappear and you're left with like a hollow cylinder that's difficult then because what you're talking about counting the tree rings what the scientists would call dendrochronology is not possible in a hollow tree because yeah, there's nothing in it yeah so all you can do really is estimate based on the species and the growing conditions yeah. where it is in the forest so if it's out in the open things tend to grow a bit faster when they're in full sunlight so you can get a, an average estimate of how many centimetres diameter a tree might increase by every year. And also looking back into historic records, so about putting together the parts of the jigsaw where we're looking at what might have been plant where, and then we can make a bit more of an educated guess about how old each of these veteran trees is. Because you have to be an expert at finding out what the conditions would be mm-hmm. on a hollow tree. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's quite a scientific approach. What is coppicing and pollarding and why do you need it? Doesn't it harm the animals who live in the trees? Well, if it's done sensitively, it actually helps the wildlife. Really, what it is, it is a medieval technique of harvesting trees that were growing in different places. So where you've got open grassland, you've got pollard trees. What might you find around the ground? That's Some not bugs good? that you, you might step on. Much bigger than bugs, big mammals. Cows, horses. Also, the deer. Yeah, exactly. You've got to protect what you cut from those animals. Absolutely love eating leaves and buds of trees. So what you have to do out there where you've got a pollard tree is cut it. I'm not sure about my metres, but in feet, it's anywhere between six and eight feet in height. It's higher than me anyway. Way higher. Yeah. So what happens to the wood from the tree once you've cut it? So maybe every 20 or 30 years, depending on what they wanted from the tree, in terms of its firewood or even leaves, they used to feed the leaves to the cattle and the deer. They cut the top down. Why would they want to make it last longer? So nowadays, we're really doing it for conservation reasons. Wildlife can really only survive in that environment coppicing is much the same reason why you do it another way to harvest the tree but in the coppice you 
you cut it down to ground level. By doing that, you have to protect the whole of the coppice. Now, though, we have to use baskets around each coppice tool with wire fencing. It doesn't look as nice, but it does that important job of protecting the young coppice while it's regenerating. So fences that stop the animals eating the new shoots from the coppice or tree? Yeah. So after that time, the tree would be tall enough again that deer and cattle wouldn't be able to eat the top of it? Well, then what it does, it lets a lot of light down to the ground. So you get all of the wildflowers will come up, they'll set seed again, and then the whole cycle of the coppice is kick-started. And what that does is it helps provide a food source for the insects. So the insects provide good food for the birds. Sounds complicated. So it helps the food chain then, basically. How do they know that that used to happen in the medieval times? There's records. Also, you know, I was saying about the diameter of the tree. Yeah. We estimate some of those coppice stools are anything up to about 2,000 years. They've not been recut for so long. You're left with these really, really big stems that come up from the ground. Wow, so just from the coppice stools, so the bottom of the tree trunk or stump sort of thing, you can tell. That's impressive. Right, so I think I've got it now. Coppicing is when tree stems are cut down low, sometimes right to the ground. Then new shoots grow up. Pollarding is similar, but is when the wood is cut about two metres from the ground. This stops animals eating the shoots, but also means that the bushes and things can grow under the branches, because when the tree is pollarded, there's more light that can get into the forest. Really good to have such an interested person listening to what we've got to talk about Hatfield Forest, Jack. If wet wood is banned because of air pollution in the future, will this affect what happens with the cut trees? Well, it's always good to have a use at the end of our conservation work so the firewood all gets sold and all of the revenue from that goes back into the forest management. But the thing is, it's more to do about unseasoned wood, um, what you might call green wood. It needs a good long time to dry out. I know it's, so, just, and it's wet, it goes all green in colour. Yeah. It's not very good name because it's not good for the environment. Yeah, well, there's a lot of carbon given off. All of our firewood gets dried out for years. But to test that it's not too wet, we put a moisture meter in the timber stack in different places to make sure that it comes under 20% moisture. And I'm really pleased Mm-hmm. It's not as much carbon in the air. We've seen some big old trees in the forest that have fallen down because of storms. Do you leave the fallen trees on the ground so that they can decompose so it's good for the soil to the new plants to grow? Yeah, well, there's many different reasons really why, if that's possible. Obviously, somewhere like the busy lake area might not be quite as suitable to leave a big fallen tree. It's really important to leave it in as big a pieces as you possibly can. But the important thing about leaving deadwood so where it lies really is because a lot of the rare wildlife that goes with that deadwood, it can't move around very easily so if there is another tree nearby there's a good chance that wildlife can get from the tree that's fallen into a living tree nearby and we try to really plant the same species near an old tree of that same species so that move into the younger trees they attract different wildlife oh yeah and that old dry gray tree oh the hornbeam some of the grayness is is actually lichens on the bark if you look really closely i've got my own kit about seeing bugs and i've got my own like mini things that i can look through in the there you go i bet you can't wait to come out to hatfield forest and have a good explore then yeah (laughs) moss very good to the environment isn't um what's it used for it's quite important in the woodland area because if you look closely you can find insects underneath the moss so it does make a little kind of micro community invertebrate and it keeps the moisture in as well it's very easy 
if you've got too much light and, and wind going through the coppice for it to dry out but the moss help. Would a woodlouse be an inverted? Yes. Because it can bend all the way into a ball. Yeah. I find loads of them under in my garden and there was this glass and cup outside. Once I lifted it up and there was tons of them under it and they all crawled out and it's quite cool really. It's weird because whenever you put something in your garden, even if there's originally put it without woodlice on, whenever there's woodlice near, they come round and they somehow go under it. I don't know how they do that. Yeah, they've got a very tough exoskeleton which protects it and it can get between very narrow crevices and to get the to the food yeah i think i already know this but how is global warming affecting the forests and animals that live there well it's very very worrying really Catherine forest and a lot of the the ancient woodland in the uk really is grown or in what we call a temperate climate where it's quite cool and damp that's important for all of the wildlife depends on that climate so in the summertime more recently we're having a lot of drought and that can be devastating the woodland dries out to the point where it becomes quite flammable we have to Unfortunately, with things like barbecues, can't have a hat before it. So we have to be very, very careful with our ancient woodland for the fire risk. Also, the weather in the winter has got a lot wetter mm. and we've had flooding and it's been quite warm. We haven't had a lot of snow. No, for, just a few um, days. And then it went back to rain and sun. Yeah. Once it was snowing in the morning in the morning and then the afternoon, nice and sunny. Doesn't make yes. sense. This last winter, we didn't get many frosts, but this last April was really, really cold. And that's really the time of year when things should be warming up and, you know, the wildlife comes to life again. So we've had a very, very unusual winter and spring again this year. Some of the things that we do, like the coppicing, we have to put that on hold maybe for a year. And the pollarding, especially to work on the really veteran trees, it's not a very good idea to do too much work a year after a drought because trees dry out very easily. It's got to be really careful after a drought that you don't actually kill the tree. So that's one way that we can help look after them. I guess the other thing with water logging, we can use a slip master out in the grassland, which helps to, to drain the soil. When soil gets too heavily compact it can puddle when people would come to the forest they might accidentally trample on all the wildlife in the soil and it could kill the bugs and stop the food chain maybe yeah also floods could um mm. kill bugs and lots of animals yeah so imagine we have nearly half a million visits every year now really what we try and ask of our visitors if at all possible is to try and visit in the drier times of the year when the forest can cope a bit better in the winter what happens we have grassy foot they get really heavily trodden in the wet wet, and then they lose all their grass and they get like muddy and that's not very nice to walk on so what walkers tend to do is is avoid the bit that they should be walking down and then they spread outwards oh dear so really i mean we have got room for everybody really how we can all help to play our part to look after it for like you say the sustainability so that the forest survives and all the wildlife that goes with it well into the future. Yeah, it couldn't cope with it and they couldn't keep it going. Yeah. In Hatfield Forest, there's a really cool house which is covered in shell. It was built in 1750 as a picnic shelter. And it was a really good spot for picnics because it overviewed the beautiful lake. And I've done a video of that lake again on social media.
Do you know what seaside the shells came from? Looking at the shells, there's, there's all kinds of different species, but they look like they come from the Caribbean. We did have a shell expert have a look, but unfortunately we couldn't say exactly the seaside that they came from. Shells do vary because we've had to do some restoration work on the shell house because it was a bit damaged. Some of the shells are original, so the, the shell house is Georgian. And the shells were used to help decorate it by Letitia Hublon, who was the daughter of Jacob Hublon. And she had a real interest in shells and, and making sort of pretty decorative effects on buildings and around the fireplace in there and picture frames and that kind of thing. Well, I've heard about deforestation in the Amazon rainforest, but does it happen here too? What can we do to help? It has happened in this country. I'm pleased to say that it's rare now that there's the destruction because I think generally people are better educated, especially about ancient woodlands and how important they are. The ways that we can help really is to present a message of how important ancient woodlands are and also any gaps in the woodland that are replanted and any blown over trees are replaced. And that's so important really because the trees obviously help to take the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And they lock it up in themselves and also in the ground as well. That's one way to tackle climate change. Nowadays at Hatfield Forest, we replant the coppice and also we have a commemorative tree scheme. So we're putting back trees that may have declined or blown over or been cut in the past. And that really is a way that people can commemorate a special occasion. Yeah, where did you find the seed? Well, it's a really good point because it's important that places where you've got a long history of of ancient trees like Hatfield Forest to try and plant the same species very near to the parent tree. Yeah, a bit like history repeating itself. What we do in the autumn time is a series of seed collection, plant them in our nursery. Yeah, yeah, a family tree of trees. Exactly. We have families coming back generation after generation. Yeah. And many times that family will have, have had a commemorative tree planted with us. Sometimes it's the grandchildren uh, that are coming out to look at the tree that might be in memory of the grandma or grandpa. So it's a really nice way of commemorating people that are important to the family. That's a really lovely idea. I went to a Halloween Bake Off event a few years ago. Will you have any events in the future after social distancing is better? This summer, we've got a few belly low-key outdoor theatre events, some Shakespeare, and we've also got some children's outdoor theatre as well. Obviously, we have to be safe and make sure that we're providing a, a good environment for people to come and watch. But we do think that being outdoors is the best of all places to be at a time like this. Some of what Shakespeare he says is a bit tricky to understand, but um, I'm... Yeah, I'm excited about that. Well, there we go. <laughs> they always try and do it in a fun way so that it's enjoyable for any member of the family would find it fun. We're really looking forward to bringing back some fun family activities, maybe in a, a less formal way. But we've always had things like geocaching here and also low-key events, small pond dipping things. Families can come along and, and do wildlife spotting. We've got a series of spotter guides and even lesson plans for self-led visit. Geocaching. Well, it's hiding boxes out in the forest that you've got to give clues to find. And you can look these up online. You get the clues to start following the trail. Eventually you get to the hiding place of the of the geocache. So a cache really means like a, a hidden treasure. I can't guarantee it'll be very good treasure, 
but it would be interesting treasure nevertheless. That sounds cool. I'd like to try. How could you find out about those events? Ah, well, if they're on posters up and banners and things on the forest, there is quite a bit of information as and when we can post it on the website, www.nationaltrust.org.uk and then with a forward slash Hatfield-Forest. So we're looking forward to getting those set up for the main summer. So by the time you come out, Jack, you should be able to do some of these things. Cool. really want to be a scientist who discovers beetles and, and stuff like that. Yeah, sounds like a bug hunt might be something that you'd like to get involved in then. Mm-hmm. Having a look at all the bugs and beasties. In. <laughs> so I'm really, really delighted to have done this podcast with you. And thank you very much for your time. It's been great. Thank you for coming here and speaking to me about Hatfield Forest information. You're very, very welcome. When you come out to Hatfield Forest, do drop by and say hello. Okay, I will. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, then. That's all we've got time for today. I had a fascinating visit to the forest myself with my mum, my granddad and my sister. There's so much to do and see there and we were nearly there for five hours. Thank you very much for Henry to talking to me. And thank you very much for the volunteers to give me some tick sheets to spot all the animals and bugs when I was there. The great work that people at Hatfield Forest do helps to conserve the wildlife and plants, but like Henry said, we need to make sure conservation goes out of the forest. And this means that animals and plants can live anywhere and still be protected. We could help by using less paper using recycled paper, recycling our paper and cardboard, using sustainable wood products, not burning firewood and making sure that when we do it's dry wood, support organisations like the National Trust who help make our forests better, and most importantly, talking to our friends and family about what they can do to help. I've learnt a lot in this episode and I've learnt quite a lot of wrong words. For example, coppicing, polliding and conservation. I also now know what they mean. Do you? Join me next time for another exciting episode of Jack of the Future.